The idea of this podcast is simple, discipleship. We want to bring the gospel message about how to interact with your coworkers, your culture, your friends, everyone around you in a biblical way, which is, in essence, discipleship. What did Jesus do when he came to this earth? He took the devil's stuff. The Bible actually teaches that the world is becoming increasingly covered with the knowledge of the glory of God. That should change everything in the mind of a Christian. Instead of thinking about all the ways society is failing, we should think about all the ways society must be, as Psalm 110 tells us, put underneath the feet of Jesus in victory. The Rebel Alliance Podcast. We would be honored if you would join us. Welcome back to the Rebel Podcast. As always, you got Chris and Nate in the studio. Garage Mahal, our hideout as we determined last week. That's what we're going to call it. Nate, how you doing today, my friend? I'm doing pretty good. Even, even for the fact that your kids are waking up at like 4 a.m.? Uh, yeah, that's just new, the new normal. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know if you've ever... The new normal is just uh, I get up at 4.30 and I put my daughter to bed and uh, back to bed. Try to convince her to stay in her room, usually discipline her, and uh, do so again every 15 minutes until it's, you know, acceptable for me to wake up my wife and pass the buck. <laughs> uh, my wife's pregnant right now, right? So you, you kind of feel like you got to let her sleep, and this is just my practical way to serve her, but... Uh, yeah, so so my daughter is in the and and dude, I've tried everything. Like, so we've we've gotten rid of the nap. She's three years old, so we've gotten rid of the midday nap just recently. Trying to get get her to sleep in more. Tried to push the bedtime back. It doesn't matter what she does, whether she goes to bed at midnight or seven p.m. She's getting up at four thirty. And I, like I've tried reward based. I've tried discipline. I've tried taking toys away. I've tried all of it, and I am at my wits end i i asked because so i, knew I it say was that to say yeah, dude how much time we got because van brimmer's help like, you guys have older kids i surely they sleep in past 4 30 now what is happening can I, can I just point out like as somebody who doesn't have my own children i get great joy of the fact that like you're in the midst of it not that the fact that you're suffering that's not the joy the joy is just watching the people who's Who's like, as you said, the Van Brimmers, whose kids have grown. So they're through this now. And they, so they just look at you and they have this silent chuckle. Like you have no idea what this is. <laughs> and like, you have one on the way. This, this is, is like a secret continue, little joke. Yeah. Now I, I'm not in on it, but like I, I get, I get some pleasure out of like watching this unfold. Yeah. Um, but I asked cause so, I didn't even know there was a four thirty. Yeah. In the morning, man, it's crazy. So, so basically I just try to get to bed as early as I can now. Cause I know the four thirty is, is happening, but like. You know, and and we recently watched the the Paul Tripp parenting seminar, which just wrecks you because then you know he he reminds you that every time you exercise your authority over your kids, you are reflecting either positively or negatively the authority of God. And you're like, oh, dude, like why do you have to tell me that at four thirty when I get up? My first reaction is not, oh wow, what a privilege that I get to reflect the authority of God to my three year old who's getting no. Uh, so anyway, um, yeah, we've tried everything. We're trying lots of different <laughs> discipline tactics. We've tried sticker and reward based, uh, combined with discipline. And it's just like, she just doesn't like sleeping. And I'm thinking like, this is where, like when, when we used to laugh at our parents, like this is where your parents get the sort of like, 
when you're my age, I just want to say that Quinn, there's going to come a day when you wish you could sleep more than you do. So I don't understand what this obsession is with waking up and the second you get up, you want to play. It's ridiculous. It's because she doesn't have to go to work. Or school. Yeah, that's, that's true. Maybe, she, maybe I should just, just get her do you a need job. some child labor in your basement. Do you have any Nike just shoes like, to make her? A legend of my three-year-old. Just, uh, you have her down in your basement brewing beer. Yeah. <laughs> just yeah. terrible. terrible. Oh, that is not what's actually yeah. happening for yeah. anybody who's Sorry. a mom. And I'm overtired, so uh, we could maybe we should censor this part. But it's uh, basically yeah. from it's like midnight for Nate right yeah, now. Seriously. So. Okay, um, but let's get into Rebel News because I actually have something I wanted to throw by you. Um, okay, so I bet you didn't even know this place existed in Toronto. Um, this is in Canada. This is in Canada. Okay. So in Toronto, there is a brothel. You're familiar with what a brothel is? Yeah, I didn't think they were legal in Canada. There's a brothel with sex dolls. Oh, boy. So these are um, like full-size humans, various measurements and and shapes and sizes and all that, um, that you can spend money for a half hour with or an hour with. With the doll? With the doll. Um, and they're now, uh, plans to open one in Toronto aimed at females that has a male doll, but the male doll actually is robotic. Um, so it, it, it's, it, it's actually a, a sex robot. So, so now, so <laughs> what we've done now is we have legalized like prostitution with, robots and dolls <laughs> so i just no want to get your jo- thoughts on that <laughs> is no one's job safe <laughs> automations no just, uh, that's not yeah. where we should go with that <laughs> one Automation. <laughs> automations are taking over the world yeah. that's not where you go with that yeah. is I, that is that crazy it, there there are so many things wrong with this yeah so this kind of goes back to a couple of weeks ago we talked about um earth sex eco yeah eco did you get a lot i got i got several text messages after that episode dropped of people going what (laughs) i i had i oddly had um now i have a lot of people who listen who would not profess faith at all um who reach out to me often and (laughs) i was actually a little alarmed at how many people wanted like more information you're like, uh, <laughs> like, we don't provide no, links no, to those kinds of things. No, like, not going to happen. I don't know. It was Nate's thing. <laughs> <laughs> that that yeah, came yeah, out yeah, weird. Yeah. <laughs> but, but this is, so I, I guess this all falls into like, it, it's funny how many of the sexual perversions in Levitical law we, we talk about as if they're outdated, right? Like, it, you know, I, I can't tell you how many times, even, even, you know, as a pastor preaching through New Testament, uh, New Testament books where Paul warns against having orgies and things like that. And, and part of you is just like, like how many of us as Christians who grew up in the church and stuff and who have, you know, the Holy Spirit indwelling us, have a strong conscience, um, would just think like, like, what, like, shouldn't it be obvious? But, and yet Paul felt the need when he was writing to the Corinthian church to say like, mm. Hey, like don't have sex with your dad's wife. Right, like, or don't have orgies. Levitical law says, like, don't have sex with animals, don't have sex with family members, don't have, you know, and this needed to be said. And and sometimes we can lose sight of how perverse the world gets in a Romans one culture that has yeah. rejected God, and our minds have been darkened, and God gives us over to depraved uh, passions. And so here we are. We're living in a culture now where. Um, 
this stuff has been normalized. Yeah, it's just it's just another step down. Like not not another step because you actually said something profound. I thought there where it's this isn't new. Right. This is this was happening in Old Testament days before there was the internet and all this stuff. We're just now making it public. Not like right. we're bringing it to light and celebrating it. Right. That's the only difference now is that it's yeah. celebrated. Yeah. And so we look at this and just be like, well, it's there's there's nothing new under the sun. These are not new perversions. It's just perversion in, in itself. And this and with the way our culture goes now, whereas we're not allowed to say that love can't that, that love has a guideline. We're not allowed to right. say that anymore because we're limiting it. Yeah. It, it leads to a, an idea where we could get to a place. And I know people are gonna push back the moment I say this. We can get to a place where if I can love whoever I want, not me, but if, if our yep. culture can love whoever I want, why does age matter? Why does any of that, any of that matter, right? Without getting too graphic, you can understand what I'm implying. If I can have sex with a robot that I've created, then why well, can't I have sex with some? So, so what's interesting is this, this, this article that I read about this. Now, when, when they're talking about the, the robots and giving them, um, so there, there's, there's advancements now giving them ability to speak or to whatever. So it's, it goes be, it's going beyond dolls is what I'm saying. Um, and, but as they implant sort of like computer like qualities into these robots, um, it's interesting because the article mentioned, this is a non-Christian article, and it mentioned how there are activist groups who are already on it kind of asking the question, well, when does a robot need to give consent? And you're just like, how ridiculous is it that we live in a world now where we're talking about robot cons- consent to sexual activity? Like, it just, it just like, <laughs> like, you know, this is, this is that sort of like, I get now where my parents, when they were, you know, I wouldn't eat my, my Brussels sprouts and they say they're kids, you know, starving in Africa or whatever. Like, this is where you want to say, like, there's actual... That doesn't work, parents, by the way. Yeah, it doesn't. But, like, there's actual issues in the world. There are real people suffering from very fixable problems. And our biggest problem is whether or not sex dolls can give consent. Like what? A, like what sort of a privileged society do we live in? I'm um, so I'm so ashamed that they assume the gender of the robot. <laughs> yeah, like how how dare they? Well, yeah. How how brutal is it that there's only male or female uh, dolls? Like where's where's the non-binaries? It's, that's, <laughs> <laughs> that's, uh, um, okay, so well, re- related to that, in a way, um, there's this other um, article that came out. There's a. There's a, a village in New Brunswick um, where a uh, a bishop. It's a real um, place. Yeah, New Brunswick. Yeah, it's on east, eastern Canada. It's, a, it's an island, uh, but new, it's a province, an island. Um, it, so there's this place in New Brunswick where a bishop flew a straight flag. So um, he he flew a flag. It had black and white stripes, right? I, I assume kind of combating the the rainbow striped flag of uh, the gay pride parade. And the symbol in the middle is an interlocking male and female symbol, and so he flew it, and uh, he got to uh, he got to the flag uh, literally less than 24 hours after it was brought up, and the flag was taken down, and uh, uh, the LGBT community that was there, you know, when he said like, "Who took my flag down?" He they said, "We did," and the authorities actually would not let him put the flag back up, and he said that it was straight a straight pride flag. 
And was what was interesting is that the um, the LGBT um, activists in the area basically said there's no such thing as straight pride. And what was interesting is that um, it was taken down. The authorities made him take it down, saying it was a message of hate. And then all of the LGBT supporters in that community flew gay pride flags for a week afterwards with the consent of the authorities. So it, it's just interesting. We don't have to get into all the details. It's maybe not worth mentioning the whole thing. You can follow the story if you want to. I read about it on cbc.ca. But um, what was interesting is that we're allowed to celebrate anything but what but God's design for sexuality. And th- and and that's where I'm going with this is that you know whether it's the the ecosexuals that we talked about not too many not too long ago or now you know these these uh, sex doll brothels or or you know gay pride LGBT stuff all of this we can celebrate anything. Anything is permissible except God's design. And the moment we show um, favor for or pride in the truth of God's design, it's called hate. And and the verse that comes to mind is from Isaiah 7 that says, you know, woe to those who call darkness for light and up down and bitter for sweet and all that stuff. Like woe to those. In other words, we're, we're, we're living in a culture now that does call good evil. It, it calls up down. It calls bitter sweet. And, uh, and and not only does it call it those things, but it says now you must celebrate the dark. Now you must celebrate inversion. Now you must celebrate bitter, and uh, and you may not celebrate sweet. You may not call sweet sweet. So it's it's uh, it's a it's a perverted society, and uh, it's it's a sad place where we're getting at. But you know, good for this bishop for for doing what he can. I don't know where the fight's at now. I didn't. There was no follow up article, but uh, you know, um, interesting. That is interesting. I saw I saw a meme. A friend of mine sent me like a meme just this week and was just like just his only word only word with it was profound. And the meme, it's not hard to explain. It just had 2018 written across the top and then right underneath it said fundamentalists. And what it underneath that it was just a picture of a man, his wife and two kids. And it was just like in and then the caption at the bottom was like in 2018 this is what's radical. Right. And it was yeah. just like, and it was the, and it was just a picture of what would have been even 15 years ago, 20 years ago, just considered the nuclear, nuclear family, wife, husband, wife, two kids and a dog pick a fence. Everybody's happy now is considered almost like a radical fund, like fundamentalist type. Like, I can't believe you live that way yeah. type thing. It's, it's very, very telling how quickly this idea has run its course because Let's be honest, we have people in power who have grown up thinking this is the right way. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's take a break. Hey, it's Dave, the Rebel Alliance Media Tech Guy here. Have you got something you want to tell Rebel listeners about? Now your commercial can be heard right here. The Rebel Podcast gets 10 to 15,000 hits each episode. Great weekly exposure for your business. For more information, visit rebelalliancemedia.com or email the Rebels at info at rebelalliancemedia.com. Thank you. Have you checked out the new Rebel Alliance Media website? RebelAllianceMedia.com. It's expanded with more resources, blogs, and podcasts. 
Catch Grant and Erica Van Brimmer's Awakening Reformation podcast on Tuesdays, their Fathers of the Faith for Covenant Kids podcast on Mondays, and the Rebel podcast each Wednesday. Don't forget to watch the Rebels video every Friday. Read engaging weekly blog posts on theology and Christian living by Ben Emery and the Van Brimmers. Study eschatology with Pastor Nate's Eschatology 101 video series and find more resources for Bible study and worldview matters. You can help Rebel Alliance Media expand even more with your financial donation. A one-time or monthly gift would be a great help and much appreciated. Click the donate button at the top of each page. Thank you for following and supporting rebelalliancemedia.com. Alrighty, we're back after the break, and uh, today we're jumping into a couple of more misunderstood parables, uh, we think. We're still in the midst of these kingdom parables, and uh, if you've been listening over the last couple of weeks, you know that we think in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus is taking some time to um, basically teach his disciples something that many of the Jews uh, living it in the first century misunderstood about Jesus as the Messiah in general, and that is that he brought... Uh, the kingdom of God, he brought it in seed form, and it's growing uh, into all the fullness that God had promised. And uh, and so he's teaching them what the kingdom of God is like. So we looked at uh, we looked at the king or uh, the parable of the sower, uh, which is talking about kind of four different types of human human hearts, which uh, all symbolize different periods in Israel's history, um, and uh, that Jesus has come to usher in the era of good soil. We talked about um, the harvest, the parable of the wheat and the tares, which talks about the judgment of God in 70 A.D., where the the kingdom of of Israel came to a crashing, convulsive, violent end, and the kingdom of God would then uh, grow up unhindered by the the tares that were growing up next to it in, in uh, Judaism. Um, and then uh, after this, after that, after that time of, uh, after 70 AD, I should say, um, a time of slow, gradual, uh, unstoppable kingdom growth begins where the kingdom infiltrates and overtakes uh, the kingdom of darkness. So that slow, gradual, uh, growth is seen in the mustard seed parable, and that in, that fact that it infiltrates and overtakes the kingdom of darkness is shown in the leaven parable. And so here we are now, and we're talking about the the parable of the the pearl and the treasure. So do you want to read those? We're in Matthew chapter thirteen. Sure, starting in verse forty four. Um, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. There you go. So enough said, I guess, right? Enough said. Boom. Uh, Let the word of God speak for itself. Okay. So, um, we're going to, which isn't completely new for us, but we're going to kind of break away from the traditional understanding of many of these sorts of things. Um, you know, how how have you understood this parable? How have you heard people explain this parable? Like, who is the man, the merchant, and what's the treasure, the pearl? Uh, the way the way I've always been told this parable um, is that the treasure the treasure is the faith, and so. We take this. We take the faith, and we bear. We put it in our hearts, or we bearing in in us, and then we give everything we have to the to the to that. So, all that we have goes towards that 
spiritual, basically spiritual truth. So we give up basically right. in essence, we give up everything for Jesus is what people would break that down to. If you wanted a Cole's notes. Right. And so even, I mean, just, just to throw it out there because you might not have as much respect for us as you do for other great Bible teachers. And so I'll just, <laughs> I'll just be completely honest with you. We're, uh, we're, we're in un, not uncharted, but we're in, in, in tough waters here because, uh, one of our favorite guys of all time, John Piper, um, he, he views this as Christ is the treasure. Christ is the pearl. Um, we are the man who, who sees, who finds the treasure. And because of the new life that's put in us, the new heart, new affections, you know, you can hear how all of this would fit into John Piper's kind of Christian hedonistic understanding of scripture. <laughs> and that is, you know, we, we see the value of Jesus. And so we're willing to give up our lives, right? He who is willing to give up his life will find it, all that kind of stuff of that goodness. Jesus is the pearl of unmatchable worth of great value. Uh, we, we willingly give up our lives, sell everything we have, give everything up to follow him. My problem with that is twofold. My problem with that, not, not to take exception. I mean, John Piper is a much smarter guy than me, but not that you take any great joy and disagree with John Piper. No, I, in fact, it gives me great pause, but let me throw a couple things out there for number one, that would make us the hero of this parable. Right? So imagine what Jesus is saying. The kingdom of heaven is, is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man, meaning whoever he's listening to, found, covered up, and in his joy goes and sell all that, sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant, search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had. So we become the hero of the story. Hmm. We are the ones who see such great value in the gospel, such great value in Christ, such great value in the faith that we sell everything we have, we lay our lives aside, and we follow Jesus. And it sounds really good because you can talk about Christ as the treasure, and, and he is. But in this particular parable, I think that that turns us into the hero. I don't think this is act, I don't think this is unlike somebody reading the story of David and Goliath and saying, "I'm David, and I need to conquer my my uh, my giant, of my yeah, life. the Goliaths of my life." I think that's that's making us the hero of the story again, which you know we would all agree isn't the way to read these things. So. So that's my first problem with this story. I think any time you read a Bible verse and you think you're the hero of the verse, <laughs> read it again. You read it again. That's exactly right. So that's number one. Secondly, Jesus gave us an answer key, right? What is the field? He, he's given us the answer key. And so many of these um, answer keys, the birds of the air mean the same thing in each of his parables. The earth means the same, the field means the same thing in each parable. The field is the, the earth. It's the world. It's and and so when I read this verse, I look at it and I, I I think, all right, let's how can we read this in a way that makes Jesus the hero of the story? Okay, so if Jesus is the merchant, if Jesus is the man who uh, sees the value and he goes and buys the whole thing, so so here's here's what um, uh, how I understand this parable. Matthew Henry agrees with me. Doug Wilson agrees with me. So I'm not completely alone on this. Um, even though I'm disagreeing with John Piper, I think that Jesus is the man, Jesus is the merchant, his elect, his people are the pearl, his people are the treasure, and the field is the world. And so Jesus comes 
and he buys back the world. And we've talked about this in so many ways. He is the propitiation, not just for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. Behold, the savior of the whole world. Behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Uh, Jesus did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that through him, the world might be saved. And so we talked about this in our last episode. There's a way in which Jesus is the savior of the whole world, the propitiation of the whole world. The whole point here is that he came and he died and he bought back the world. He is now king of the world, the, the world that was surrendered to Satan through the disobedience of the first Adam who failed to take dominion. The second Adam comes back and buys back the nations. We've talked about this many times through the parables, through this parable series. And so I would say that his elect are the treasure, his elect are the pearl. He comes, he, he does what must be done. He gives up his life leaves his, his, his home in heaven, gives up all that he has to come and lay himself down to buy his elect, buy the whole world so that he can gain his elect. Exactly. I, think, I think that's, that's what this parable is talking about. Exactly. Like the, that, that's exactly what it's, it's talking about. It's a, it's a, it's a gospel picture of Jesus coming back to take his, his kingdom back. And it's interesting that even when you, when you look at it like that, it makes more theological sense we're the pearl we're the inanimate object who can't help itself that's right and jesus comes and he gets us yeah. he comes and takes us god is sovereign god comes and does what only god could do there's no the pearl made a great choice you know I mean? <laughs> jesus comes and it, it, yeah. it fits with what yeah. is being taught here the right pearl with all of its free will chose, chose to <laughs> chose to be purchased by the merchant chose this merchant to be yeah. but it, when you when you start looking at it like and i think and again i think you're spot on when people look at this and we want we want to make ourselves the key essence in the story. And and to credit Piper, I don't think Piper, like, Jesus is a great, a great treasure worth unmeasurable value. It's easy to look at that and think that. Yep. It's easy. It, the problem is it's just it doesn't make sense in the context, right? right. I would um, and so, and I think that's a great gospel picture that we, we are seeing and Jesus is telling us that's what's happening here. Yeah, that's exactly right. And so um, I think that... Um, the other thing, I mean, <clears throat> we've talked about not getting lost in the details, right? That Jesus is, is using these illustrations to communicate spiritual truths, but we can't go too, 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 too far with it. There are a couple things, though, that, you know, at, at the risk of going too far here, let me just throw out a couple of observations that I think help this analogy mm. and help this understanding. So what's interesting about pearls, it's the same thing that's interesting about diamonds or gold or any of that kind of stuff. What inherent value does a pearl have? Right, you, you can't eat it, you can't sleep under it, it doesn't provide warmth, right? Like in terms of basic survival, it has very little value. Yet, humans ascribe value to it, right? So, so we see diamonds as more valuable than coal, <laughs> even though they come from the same thing. One, just you, you apply pressure and time. And, and yet, you know, we ascribe the value Right, so so this is that sort of supply and demand thing, right? There are less diamonds and all that kind of stuff. That's what describes the value. But you know, because because uh, we think diamonds are valuable, we'll pay a premium for diamonds and not for coal or not for you know um, aluminum or, or whatever the case may be, right? So a pearl doesn't have any inherent value except for the value that's seen, that's ascribed to it by the purchaser. And so what's oh, interesting yeah. is that, you know, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure in a field, which a man found and, and covered up. So the, there's the treasure. But this this um, kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who, on finding one pearl of great value, he's the one who sees the value there. 
So what's, what's interesting, I think, about this is because a pearl doesn't have any inherent value, the only value it has is the value ascribed to it by the merchant. I think what we can understand about this is, is something that's, that's still, to all of us, this is, a, this is the mystery of election, right? You know, and, and humans who want to be assured of their value will say, you know, and, and I remember when I was struggling through the doctrine of election, one of the things I, I said was, well, maybe God, because he knows the end from the beginning, looked through the corridors of time and based his election, his purposes in election on foreknowledge. He, he knew that I would choose to him or, or I would, you know, do great things for the kingdom of God and therefore he chose me. And, uh, and that's not what the scripture says. The, the only, in fact, the only reason that scripture gives that God elected any of us was for his good pleasure. There's nothing in me. And I think that, that one of the, the kind of applications of this parable is to remind you that the only value you have is the value that God gives to you as one of his elect, as one of his children. He didn't choose, his, his purposes and election are, are not based on who's great and who's, who's not. In fact, uh, Romans 9 actually says the opposite, right? That, that the younger serve the older so that God's purposes and election might be fulfilled when it's talking about Jacob I've loved and Esau I've hated. So it, it's not because we're better. It's not because we're smarter. It's not because we're less unrighteous. God chose us for his good pleasure. And there's no rhyme or reason in any human's mind as to why he elects some to salvation and some to be objects of wrath. Um, other than it's his good pleasure. So he ascribes the value and he's chosen us before the foundation of the world. He knit us together in his mother's womb. He, in the eternal covenant of redemption, chose to save us. And I think that's just such a powerful application of, of interpreting the parable in this particular way is that we're a pearl that has no intrinsic value except that somebody sees value in it. I, I think that's huge. I, I just think that's so powerful. Yeah, I think that's I think that's unbelievable when you start looking at it that way. I never, even me, I never, th- I never think too much about the idea that pearls are basically useless. You know? <laughs> <laughs> like, and so, yep. but, and that's and that's kind of how we are without without Christ, without yeah. Him giving us our value. We're stones. Yep dead you know what i mean yep. inanimate in, in, inanimate waste. lifeless yeah. exactly and so i think i think that's that's a much better way to look at these that these at these parables for sure um I, and one of the things that i think is really really interesting is that we just need to remind ourselves that the that um these are kingdom parables and what all of them have in common is this idea that there's there's the kingdom is never separated from salvation. And so it's interesting, you know, we're in, we're in the book of Matthew. So if you think about Matthew chapter 4, verse 30 or 23 says, Jesus went through all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, Jesus went throughout all the cities and all the villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. Matthew chapter 24, verse 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. So I think, you know, these kingdom parables are so important because 
when we understand them, we understand things about the kingdom of God. And what, what I see throughout the book of Matthew is that the gospel and the kingdom are, are intertwined, that we cannot preach the gospel without preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And that is not just that you individually are saved from your sins, though that's a component of the gospel, that when you are saved individually and brought into, you are grafted into a people who are a part of a different kingdom. And so what, we, what have we learned about the kingdom throughout all these parables? Well, we learned that God is ushering in an era of good soil. And so pe- people's hearts, you know, the, the strong man is bound up. Satan is, is dethroned. His head is crushed. He is now incapable of deceiving the nations. Therefore, it is the, uh, the, the era of good soil and the gospel can go forth un. Hindered, And so we can go and boldly proclaim the gospel to our friends and our family members because we are taking back ground that Jesus won at Calvary. Or, or look at, you know, the, the, the uh, wheat and the tares, that the, the kingdom of God has taken this, this now gradual, slow expanse after the judgment that came upon, you know, sacrifice, sacrificial system is gone. In this new kingdom, we don't have to keep offering sacrifices. In this new kingdom, salvation is not able to be lost. In this new kingdom, we have a high priest who is always there mediating on our behalf, who is ruling from his, his throne in heaven. And so we have all of these promises of the kingdom that it's going to cover the whole earth. And now that Jesus came and he purchased us, not because we have any value, but because he wanted us in his kingdom because he places value on us you look at all of these things and you say it is an essential part of preaching the gospel that it includes a component of the kingdom you have been transferred colossians chapter 1 i think it's verse 14 or something like that says you've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light under the you know under the rule of uh, the glorious sun or something like that and and so you look at this and you say you know this is an essential component of preaching the gospel and this and these these parables that we're looking at uh, at right now again Jesus came he bought the world so that he might have his elect and his elect who who he mandates now go into the nations and get me my inheritance so it it just all ties together in in a way that, and i think you know what the the Understanding these kingdom parables does for us is it not only gives us hope in the promises of God about the expanse and the future of the kingdom that we talked about last time, but I think the other thing it does is it is it gives us a mission, right? That that we are about the king's business. We are in the business of kingdom expansion, and the the um, the understanding of the gospel of the kingdom makes our salvation so much less individualistic. It's not about you punching your ticket to heaven. It's about you being transferred from one kingdom of darkness into a kingdom of light. And in this kingdom of light, we are expanding and building and growing the kingdom together. So it gives purpose and it gives value and it gives all those kinds of things because Christ has given us value by transferring us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. So I look at all that and I say like, it's just such an essential component to understand the gospel of the kingdom and to understand that the kingdom of God is here and it is the job of every Christian to grow the kingdom. Yeah, absolutely. I was, uh, I love that. When you, when you think of a kingdom, I think it helps for people to recognize two things. One, consider something for a moment. We were, we were saved and not taken away right away. If it was just about punching our ticket to heaven, we would all be gone right away. As soon as you get saved, you'd just be gone. You would just be in heaven with God because if that was the whole point, now ultimately salvation is the point of that. But I mean, like right. we have a we're left because we have a job to do, 
And our job, like you said, isn't individualistic. It's, it, it is on one hand because we do have to grow into the image of Christ, but it's to expand the kingdom. And so it was interesting. I was reading an article in preparation um, for a different podcast that we did, but it, it, what you were saying reminded me of this on Ligonier Ministries' website. It was basically talking about the idea of what a kingdom actually looks like. So think about it for a second. In a kingdom, the only person who has no daily tasks to do is the king. Right. Everybody else, mm. even the prince, even the all of his court dressers, every like everybody, all of his knights, they all have something they they have to accomplish every single day. They have a job to do. The prince, what's his job? His job is to become the king. He has to learn how to become the king. And the king's job well is to make sure it Just happens. <laughs> Just is to be, is yeah. to make sure it happens in his will to make sure it happens. Because what is a king? A king is sovereign over it all. Right. It fails if he isn't ruling it all. Right. And so if we start thinking about this idea of the two kingdoms, which I think I think at this point you're not listening to the rebels if you think there's more than two kingdoms or if there isn't kingdoms. <laughs> right. Or if, if there's start, neutral territory between the two. Exactly, not, right? You're not happening. You're in one kingdom or the other. One kingdom says, well, just do what you want. I could care yeah. less what you're doing because in my kingdom you just you just exist and that's fine because I win regardless of what you do. If you give all your money to the poor, I win if you're not saved. It doesn't matter in that one kingdom. That's the Satan's kingdom. We're in our, we're in our kingdom, in God's kingdom. We all have a job to do and that job is to expand that kingdom. Right. And to expand his glory, the king's glory to the, to the nations. I think it's very interesting when we start thinking about the idea that we're the pearl we're the pearl and God gives us our value, but he also gives us, the, us a job to do. And our job is very clear is to expand that kingdom, right? Right. Yeah, I, I, I think it's interesting. I, I, I totally agree. And I think, so you, you got to think, everybody, I'm just thinking through this out loud, but um, everybody is involved in kingdom growth, kingdom expansion. The question is, what kingdom are you building? Exactly. Right? Are you, are you building the kingdom of God? by making disciples and teaching obedience and and working on your own sanctification? Or are you building your own kingdom? In other words, have you bought into the secular humanistic worldview of he who dies with the most toys wins, right? Like build up the bank account, leave a will, you know, uh, succeed in your job, you know, get people to like you. All of those other things, it's all vanity, right? Ecclesiastes calls it a chasing after the wind, but it's a building of your own kingdom. The the, the Johnny Cash song comes to mind. I, I don't think it's actually his song. I think it's a Nine Inch Nails song um, that he re, redid near the end of his life. Empire of Dirt, right? That's yeah. Doug, I, think you, Doug, I think you have that backwards. I think it's a Johnny Cash song that Nine Inch Nails did. Okay. Either way, <laughs> what, what, I don't know. my <laughs> empire of dust, sorry, empire, right? Sure, and he says, sure. you can have it all, my empire of dirt, dirt, dust. Yeah, man. Doesn't matter. This is brutal. But uh, you can have it all, my empire of dirt. Um, I will make you, whatever, I will make you. Oh, it's called Hurt. That's the song. Okay, there you go. <laughs> now the you song. Got it. There you go. All right. <laughs> See, this is all live, guys. This is all live. Um, it's called, the song is called Hurt. And it is a Nine Inch Nails song. Johnny Cash redid it. But Johnny Cash's version is better. And, uh, and, and it's at the end of his life when he sings this song and he basically says, you can have it all. You can have my empire of dirt. And, and the whole point is that he, he felt as though at the end of his life that he had built his own kingdom. He had built his own throne. He had built his own and he hadn't made himself, um, he hadn't put his hands to the work of building something beyond himself. And I think that every Christian, I just had this conversation with a non-Christian friend of mine not too long ago 
where uh, they just turned 30 and they, they kind of said, I want my 30s to mean something, right? I want, I, I, you know, you, you turn 30 and you realize that you've lived a self-centered life. And, and I, I said, said to them, I, I said, I think we are all created to live for something that's bigger than what we can actually accomplish. I think any time that you can individually um, build something or do something, um, I, I don't think that's worth doing. I think, I think human beings were created because we we're created by God to put our hands to the work of building something bigger than ourselves. This is why sports resonate with us. This is why sports is, is such a, a multi-billion dollar industry because we, we understand there's something that's awoken inside of us when we, so uh, we're both Jays fans. There aren't many, there aren't many sports where we, we cheer for the same team, but we can go with baseball. We're both Jays fans, right? And one of the things that resonates with us about cheering for the Jays is it's something beyond ourselves. It's something bigger than ourselves. And there's something, no matter whether or not that Jays fan is a liberal, a Christian, a non-Christian, a conservative, or whatever, we can stand next to at Rock. Rogers Center, a Jays fan, and cheer for that team. And there's something deep inside of us that I think gets awoken in that because we're cheering for something beyond ourselves, bigger than ourselves. And I think that it catches it in a very temporal and and ultimately meaningless way. But I think what it's getting at is this idea that we are all we are all designed to build something. We are all designed to build the kingdom, to to involve ourselves in the grand narrative of God's purposes for the earth. And unless we're putting our hands to that work, there's a dissatisfaction. I think the entire book of Ecclesiastes is, is, is the recognition that whether it's the Jays or kingship or, or, or wealth or relationships, whatever it is that we're chasing beyond ourselves, it'll turn to ashes in our hands because at the end of the day, it, it's meant to be the building of the kingdom of God. So everybody is building something. Everybody is building a kingdom, but whose kingdom? your kingdom, which means it's just one of a zillion people building the kingdom of darkness, or are you putting your hands and your efforts and your and your resources and your energy and your money into building the kingdom of God? And at the end of the day, that's, that's like when we stand before God, it's not going to be, you know, we're not, what, we're going to get judged on the one job we had. Did you build the kingdom, right? Did, did you make disciples and teach obedience? Is that, is, is that what you put your, your hands to? I gave you one job. <laughs> I gave you one job to do. How'd you do at it? And I think that's, you know, it, there's, a, there's a million different ways we can do that. But I think at the end of the day, that's what, that's what these parables convict in my heart is, are you about the kingdom's business? Are you about the king's business building the kingdom? So, Amen. I don't, I don't think we need to say anything more on that. Be about building the kingdom, the kingdom, the everlasting kingdom of Christ. If your life isn't about that, reconsider it. Start yeah. thinking about what it looks like. What does it cost you to build this kingdom? Start thinking about the, counting the cost to finish the tower. Yeah. We're I, the rebels. Th- sorry, that just, it just reminds me, and this is probably... <laughs> Triggered again. Let, <laughs> let's, well, let's just put it in somebody else's, in somebody else's uh, mouth, somebody who said it far better than we could. I think it was, I think it was Jim Elliott, who is the missionary who died at the age of 29, um, and uh, he said, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And that, that, that quote's always stuck with me. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. You can't keep your life. Our time here on earth is finite. 
And so why not give it up to gain what you cannot lose? And that is any expanse of the kingdom, because we learned last week that of the increase of the kingdom, of the increase of the government uh, of Christ, there will be no end. And so you will not be a fool if you give up what you can't keep to gain what you can't lose. So let's let Jim Elliott have the last word. There you go. We're the Rebels. Please like us and share us on Facebook. Invite your friends to like us and share us on Facebook. Check out our other podcasts in our network, The Awakening Reformation, The Fathers of the Faith podcast. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, the whole gambit. Love it. Have a great one, guys. Bye.